0: Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and Film Intuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Everyone, we have reached another milestone. I am so proud and honored to welcome you to the 150th episode of Watch with Jen. If you would have told me two years ago when I was planning and recording this podcast as a humble little movie recommendation show that A, more than five people would ever listen to it, and B, I would still be making it today, I never would have believed you. Yet here we are, thanks both to you, my wonderful listeners who've been so kind, enthusiastic, and supportive, and also the incredible guests who shared their time, passion, and insights on film with us all, including today's terrific contributor who collaborated with me on a really great research-filled conversation. So without further ado, let's get into the episode and here's to 150 more. Today, I am so pleased to welcome James Urbaniak back to the podcast. A very talented, versatile, and witty performer with more than 150 credit listings on IMDb. As an actor, James has brought Dr. Venture on Adult Swim's The Venture Brothers, the scene-stealing Arthur, who was my favorite character, on Hulu's Difficult People, and Grant on Comedy Central's Review to Life. Additionally, he's also a podcaster in his own right and the creator of the scripted shows Getting On with James Urbaniak, A Night Called Tomorrow, and I Will Never Lie to You. Returning for the first time since our fascinating and very fun Charles Lawton episode late last season where he gave me a crash course in the 30s era of the great British actor. It is so good to have him back. So welcome, James, once again. How are you doing and how's this summer been treating you so far?
1: Thank you, Jen. The summer is treating me well. Uh, I'm talking to you from Utah where I'm making a film, but can't really talk too much about it because people don't like you to say too much. So,
0: Oh, you're fine.
1: But I'm doing a movie in Utah. That's all I can tell you. I'm in a slightly echoey hotel room, but I think it'll work.
0: (laughs) Yes, and I know that recently a new podcast, a scripted series has appeared on Audible. Do you want to tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, my writing partner, Brie Williams, and I have a uh, a scripted standalone episode. It's like a 90-minute uh, audio movie, if you will. It's called I Will Never Lie to You, and it can be heard on Audible. You can search that title. And it's a sort of road movie set in the 1970s, uh, involving, a, among other things, a young woman who sort of stumbles into becoming a volunteer for the Jimmy Carter primary campaign.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. That's cool. And, it's uh, the yeah, era... It, yeah. It's really
1: fun and it's got a wonderful cast. Ray Sehorn, who was recently nominated for an Emmy for Better Call Saul, yes. is in it. And a oh, wonderful wow. actress named Angela Trimber plays the leading lady. And uh, we have a bunch of other great actors in it uh, Sam Levine, Nate Cordry. Uh, so uh, I recommend that if people are interested. <laughs>
0: that sounds fabulous. And it was really cool seeing you appear on Better Call Saul recently Oh, yes. when I was watching that. I did that. a little. I was like, yeah. Hey, it's I, James.
1: I showed up at the beginning of the new season briefly. I was very happy to, to get squeezed in there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Are there any other projects? Is there anything else in the works that you'd like to give us a sneak preview of? Uh,
1: I don't know. There are some films. Uh, there's an independent film called the country club. Uh, <laughs> um, that's coming out at some point, maybe, or I think it'll be in the festival circuit and, uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's other things that are sort of in various stages of post-production, some other movies, but.
0: Cool. Lots percolating. Sp- yeah, yes.
1: things are percolating, exactly. Yes.
0: Well, last time you were here, we started plotting possible topics for your return after Charles Lawton. And one of yes. the first ideas that you came up with, besides that you knew you wanted to focus on an actress, was one that, like Lawton had with his incredibly impressive decade-long run in the 1930s, was similarly synonymous with a specific era you wanted to focus on, which I thought was really smart. We're speaking, of course, about the Oscar winning actress Faye Dunaway, who while still working occasionally today is most remembered for her extraordinary, daring, groundbreaking turns in the heyday of the 1970s. Although her jaw dropping run of classic work we'll be exploring today actually starts in the late 60s and ends in 1981. We'll get deeper into the film's Selected, including Bonnie and Clyde, Chinatown, Three Days of the Condor, Network, and Mommy Dearest. In just a moment, but before we do that, I would love to know what you think Dunaway's strengths were as a performer overall in this period, and why you think she's someone we're instantly compelled by whenever we see her on screen.
1: Yeah, I um in recent years, I found myself regularly re-watching. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde, Chinatown, and Network. Mm. Just because, not specifically for her, but just because, as you know, they're great movies. Yes, they're three total classics, and I just found them very inspiring, both for the acting in them, mm-hmm. and the directing, and and the writing as well. And I've yeah. you know I've gotten into writing in the last few years, so I just kept um being drawn back to those movies. And I'd sort of, you know, check in with them a, a couple times a year and stuff, and and I got to thinking how extraordinary she is in each of them, and how mm-hmm. she's really very different in each one. She uh, is, yeah. That she really reorients herself. She has certain qualities, like any actor, that you see mm-hmm. from film to film, but she's really a sort of character actress. Yes. In the guise of a leading lady, because she is a very traditional sort of Hollywood leading lady. She even has a classic Hollywood leading lady name. Yes, she really
0: does. (laughs) (laughs) It's very old fashioned and regal.
1: yeah, Yeah. And I don't think people necessarily think of her as, say, a chameleon in the Meryl Streep vein.
0: No. But she
1: definitely uh it is has completely different energies in those three films and in the other films that we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about how extraordinary she is. And uh, and then when you asked me to if I wanted to focus on another actor, before I thought of her, I just thought, well, I'd like to do a woman. Yeah. as we did Charles Lawton last time. And then it just occurred to me, oh yeah, I, I keep I keep rewatching fate <laughs> three Fate Dunaway classics. So let's talk about her. But what I think is so interesting about her is I think she's unusual. Uh, She
0: really is. Yeah. She's very different energy.
1: Yep. Yeah. She's, I mean, she's very much a leading lady. She's very traditionally beautiful, you Mm know? Yep. Uh, But she has a sort of electricity to her and an intensity that's unique Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I was thinking, you know, and we will discuss Mommy Dearest. And believe me, I have a lot to say about that. OK, good. Uh, I can't wait. But um, she played Joan Crawford. But it occurred to me recently that the Golden Age star she actually reminds me of is Catherine Hepburn. Uh, I can
0: see that. That's a really good observation. Just yes,
1: because Catherine Hepburn is also unusual. Yes. She has a very unique and sort of strange electric almost kinetic quality yes Mm -hmm. yeah and there's something just about their energy uh they're different actors but there was something about their energies that i found sort of parallel and she and faye dunaway does have an almost she's interesting she's born in 41 but she came Mm -hmm. up you know in the 60s so she's associated with the new hollywood but she still has a sort of old hollywood glamour And quality. She has this great voice. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of a throwbacky thing where she's sort of a bridge between old Hollywood and the new, which is part of why she's so good in movies like Chinatown, where she plays a sort of regal 1930s lady. And of course, Mommy Dearest, which we'll discuss later, but that is a very good part for her as well. It really
0: is. Yeah. I think her beauty was kind of a deterrent in in getting her cast at times, like even Warren Beatty has talked about for Bonnie and Clyde that her bone structure was just so overwhelmingly beautiful. He thought it'd be distracting or she wouldn't, be able to pull off this character uh, that he wanted the innocence and kind of the small town girl, but you know, the talent was right there for it. And Bob Evans has talked about her eyes are just unusual. And as soon as you see her on screen with those eyes, they just kind of overwhelm you, which reminds you of like Betty Davis's eyes or um, that her
1: eyes are, her eyes are one of her greatest uh, assets, one of her greatest tools. And she's also, um, So she has this sort of old Hollywood uh, patina, if you will. But she also, when she was young, she studied with Kazan. Yes. uh, And she came up and she identifies as a method actor. She She identifies with that whole school of acting. Mm -hmm. And she does have, uh, she has a very strong uh, emotional life. And you do, you see quite a lot through, through her eyes. And the other thing that's interesting is she has a, she has a kind of bold presence. She's good at these sort of intense characters. Yes. But uh, despite the controversy of "Mommy Dira, she's not an overplayer. She's actually very subtle, uh, mm-hmm. but she can be very theatrical when it's when it's appropriate. So it's just sort of the whole package. I think she's, and especially this sort of era, the sort of white hot period of the 60s yeah. through the 70s. Uh, And she herself identifies Mommy Dearest as sort of the end of an era for Mm. various reasons right there in the beginning of the 80s. But I think it's she's really extraordinary during that period.
0: Yeah, she's all about the process and she gets into it just so intensely. It was funny. She was telling a story to Ben Mankiewicz about uh, Mm. doing the Thomas Crown Affair and how uh, Steve McQueen wanted to come up to her and tell her her fingernails were too long. She got that idea from uh, Barbara Streisand. She thought it was glamorous. And so he came up just to like tell her to rethink the fingernails. And as he walked up, he saw her script was just full of notes on every single page and he was just like okay she knows what she's doing like she completely it's it's everything he'd never seen exactly. a script marked up like that and he later said she was the best actress he ever worked with she's one of my favorite quotes on acting she said you have to do the work it's a craft as well as an art if you do the craft well enough it might elevate into an art but it's a craft first and i you see that so much with her yeah
1: Yeah, she obviously takes acting very seriously. Yeah. And she's a true actor. She's an actor from the ground up. Yes. Uh, and, um, And she's unique.
0: She is. Well, kicking things off, we're starting with the 1967 work that first lit the match for the American filmmaking movement that would become our answer to the French, British and Czech New Wave, among others. Director Arthur Penn's new Hollywood landmark crime drama, Bonnie and Clyde, stars Warren Beatty. And Faye Dunaway is the two young Texas bank-robbing lovers, Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker, who meet cute as he nearly steals her mom's car and then leads her into town, where their date keeps escalating with riskier and more violent stakes, taking her with them on the road. Eventually, more people join the gang and the film, including Michael J. Pollard, Gene Hackman, Estelle Parsons, Gene Wilder, and more. Still as sexy as it is shocking and stylishly shot and edited, this film put, A whole new class of talent on both sides of the screen on the map, including Faye Dunaway, whose career skyrocketed after this film hit and she received an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress. So let's get into it. Talk to me about Bonnie and Clyde. You said you rewatch it quite a bit.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the movie itself, as we know, is a game changer. Yeah. It's like the shot across the the bow of of New Hollywood. (laughs) and she is just the right person for that role at that time yeah. and uh it's it's amazing she uh i i uh she had done a she'd come up in the theater in new york uh briefly she she had done a mm-hmm. little broadway and then she was in a very acclaimed off broadway show called hogan's goat which is a great title
0: yes <laughs> i read about that <laughs> yeah.
1: and that's what got her a lot of hollywood attention mhm and uh, uh, she um, was reading her memoir.
0: Yes, uh, me too. <laughs> uh,
1: for Gatsby, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and so she got a contract with Otto Preminger, the old Hollywood mm-hmm. director, because there she is at the crossroads of new and old Hollywood. Yep. And she did a movie with Preminger and she hated the experience. She's yes. a young actress. She's just come up. She was sort of a, the talk of the town in this play. Mm-hmm. And she's very beautiful. And Hollywood was like, well, this is you know, we can do something with this girl. Yeah. And then she had such a horrible experience with Preminger and hated it so much that she got out of her contract. She had lawyers get her out of it, yes. and, uh, which was kind of a bold thing to do for a very young actor.
0: It really was woman. just starting out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then she says that if she hadn't gotten out of that, she wouldn't have had the opportunity to do Body and Clyde. No. And then it's an open question. Like, what would her, her career have been? Yeah. If she was sort of stuck working with this sort of old Hollywood. And you know me, Jen, I love old Hollywood.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, I do too. Exactly. But
1: Preminger in the late 60s isn't necessarily the cutting edge, you know?
0: No, no. Even <laughs> even in some of the 50s. like No, I'd say in even the in the 50s, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, but um, she had that opportunity. She mm-hmm. ends up getting cast. And she's from the South. She's from Florida. Florida, yeah. Despite her sort of patrician appearance and voice, she comes from sort of working class people. Yeah. Uh, she's born in 41. So it's like right at the end of the depression. Her family farmed. Her dad was in the military. Yes. Uh, she had a she, you know, they, they were. So she 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 knew girls like that because she was yeah. one. She, and she knew what it meant to be a, a southern a young southern woman who aspired to something else.
0: Yeah, wanting to get uh, out. Yep. Wanting
1: to get out. Unfortunately, Bonnie Parker <laughs> just wants to get out yes. without a big game plan or any particular talent beyond self-mythologizing, which is a big yeah. part of that character. <laughs> she writes poems about herself, and she, it's, she gets the idea to take the picture of the, uh, the Texas yeah. Ranger who they, mm-hmm. who they uh, hold at gunpoint.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but she has a lot to bring to that role, and she has a lot to say about that character. hmm And meanwhile, she has these she has this intensity and glamour, frankly, that uh, it's just the whole thing. And then it's an excellent movie. Uh, But, yeah, she's great in that. She the character is very she plays her very youthful. Mm
0: -hmm. She plays
1: her with a lot of petulance, a kind of girlish petulance. Yes. Um, The character is forever dissatisfied Uh, in the beginning. She's the great opening shot where Arthur yeah. photographs mm-hmm. her, her distractingly bed. Mm-hmm. gorgeous face, but yes. the cutting is sort of jagged and yeah. her, her energy is really served by the sort of jagged cutting of those opening shots. And yes. it, it's really a great introduction of Faye Dunaway. It it's like
0: she's imprisoned by the, you know, the posts on her bed. Exactly. And also it's like frames within frames or, her yeah. window as she looks out and she's totally nude. So she's very, she's like an innocent, but she's imprisoned by her surroundings. And, and the
1: camera is framing her in a very interesting way. And yes. in her best films, which are the bulk of these with one notable exception yeah. from our list, she's mm-hmm. working with directors who are, uh, who are energized by her. and there's, oh, And there's a collaboration happening. So Arthur Penn loves her face and loves the emotion that she can project. Mm-hmm. There's a very eloquent moment where she just she bangs the side of the bed with her fist and you can tell already you already know who this is. This is a frustrated Mm -hmm. young woman. uh, And then when she meets Warren Beatty, Clyde, that just opens a door for her for something to do in her life. Yeah. But of course, it's the wrong door and it'll lead to her doom. (laughs) But she's she's just the perfect person at at the time to play that role. It's just one of those cosmic. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Uh, events and then she very quickly she's only like she's in like her late 20s i think in that movie mm-hmm. she was born in 41 uh but she rocketed to stardom with that uh, and she'd done a couple of movies before like the premature thing that didn't really have yeah. any impact she was just one of many young people starting out but that just suddenly was night and day and she became this huge huge uh, phenomenon But she's great. I love her Southern accent in it. And she obviously knows how to do a Southern accent.
0: Yes. Yeah. Inspired by the women that she grew up with. Exactly. Yeah. And Arthur Penn said he wasn't going to make the movie unless she played Bonnie. Like he actually went and put his. Yeah. Put himself on the line. And that's right. Warren Beatty gave her, you know, above the title billing, which um, she talked about because she compared it to Michael Douglas not giving Sharon Stone above the title billing in Basic Instinct and how Warren did that for her because he knew it was a two hander. People weren't just going to see Bonnie and Clyde for Clyde. Exactly. Yeah. And um, she is amazing in it. You said glamour, and that's kind of the point. I, I think a lot of people mistake that they think the movie glamorizes violence, not at all, but it's the people that are glamorous. Like, you know, Bonnie in real life was a brunette and, you know, not nearly as Well, who's going to be as glamorous as Faye Dunaway in in this era. Uh, But the people were very glamorous. Of course, the costumes are iconic and I think the film gets just progressively darker. Like it starts off and it's a little off. There's an, a, quick pacing to it. It's brightly lit. And yeah. then as it continues, it just gets more and more devastating
1: and it's a yeah, yeah. powerful film. And there's the yeah. great sequence sort of before it all goes to hell, which is done in a sort of uh gauzy yes. uh, uh, filtered way where she goes to see her mother.
0: Oh, and it's that's sort of the last sequence. moment
1: of, and the whole sequence is very interesting because it's, it's, it's like I say, it's, it's sort of done through this sort of gauzy filter And it's like their last moment of peace. Yep. And then there's a very heartbreaking moment where she, she, she misses her mother and, and Clyde says, Oh, we're going to go, we'll go straight eventually once this depression ends and uh, we'll live right near you. And the mother says, Oh, you can never live near me. You won't live because you'll be caught. You'll be killed. Yep. And then she, and there's a great classic Dunaway moment where you just see her face and her sort of shock of recognition of what the mother just said and that she can't be near her mother anymore. Uh, to survive. And she underplays it. The camera just observes her uh, ex- expression
0: mm-hmm. and you see
1: it in her eyes and you see it in her mouth, a sort of moment of shock. Uh, and she's very good at moments like that where the camera, she really is a classic film actress because yeah. where the camera is just looking at her face and you can read a very deep en- emotion in it. And it's not indicating. It's it's really it, it's very lived in. It's very, very uh,
0: natural. Yeah. It's very
1: natural and very real. And uh yeah.
0: and but meanwhile,
1: she has a wonderful physical uh energy.
0: Mm-hmm. And again, she
1: she she'll go for the big choice. Um she but will. it's it's yeah. but she's but it's 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 always truthful and and mm-hmm. and it and it's appropriate. And her her kind of electric energy in that is perfectly. In keeping with the electric energy of the movie, that just the movie and her are really serving each other.
0: (laughs) They are. And I can't imagine how, um, you know, daunting it would have been to go up against also because he's producing the film. But Warren Beatty in this era, you know, he was a huge star. I mean, it was after Splendor in the Grass and she would have known that, you know, he at one point wanted Natalie Wood to do it. And then when he wasn't going to be in it, they even considered Shirley MacLaine his sister. Uh, and then when he decided it, he was going to be Clyde, then they pulled out, uh, Shirley and the So,
1: you know, <laughs> that like, would have been weird. But that would incestuous. have
0: been <laughs> yeah, a totally different movie. Yes. <laughs> Suddenly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, but, but she, um, she comes to play. She's as they say in pro ball, she's in the show. Now she's in the show. And, in the she, show. and she, and yeah. she is showing what she can do. Yes. <laughs> she is not, she is not shy or yeah. intimidated in that. And, uh, It's great.
0: It is. Yes, absolutely. Well, one of the definitive films of not only the 1970s, but also neo-noir, our next movie, inspired by the California Water Wars, is 1974's Chinatown. It's directed by Roman Polanski and written by Robert Town. The film gave star Jack Nicholson his first lead role as a cynical private eye who takes a standard marital infidelity tail job, and stumbles onto a case involving murder, conspiracy, paranoia, deception, and Faye Dunaway's Evelyn Mulray. Handpicked by Nicholson for the part, Dunaway describes her approach as mercurial neuroticism, and was, (laughs) per usual, so committed to the process and the craft that in one of the film's most famous oft-quoted And shocking scenes, she actually asked her co-star for real slaps, not movie slaps. The end result was another Oscar nomination as Best Actress in a very crowded and impressive category, which found her up against Valerie Perrin for Lenny, Diane Carroll for Claudine, Jenna Rollins for A Woman Under the Influence, and Ellen Burstyn in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, who took home the award frequently cited as one of the greatest films of all time and a vital document of both the 1970s and 20th century filmmaking. I'll let you start us off on Chinatown.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is one of her greatest roles. Yes, It's, it's, uh, there's a couple of roles where I think it's really unthinkable that anyone else could play it. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, she just nails everything. And, and I love her voice in this. Uh, she yes. does this very subtle mid-Atlantic accent
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, that just works for a rich lady from the 1930s, and it's not distracting. It, it, you know, it's very hard to do a, an accent like that because that accent, even in the 70s, was already very antiquated, mm-hmm. uh, and it's hard to do that accent without seeming like you're making fun of it or doing a parody. And That's she just sort point. of she just sort of adjusts. Her own voice, just a little bit. She just turns the dial a little and just yeah. brings up a little bit of that 1930s kind of mid-Atlantic thing. Mister Kidding, yes. I'll drop the lawsuit. Like she just Catherine Hepburns it, just a time, just a notch, just, bad, cool. just enough for you to totally buy it. But again, yeah. this is a character where you really see a lot of a, a lot of what's going on in her eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a very sad character.
0: It is so tragic. Woman. Yeah,
1: she's she's very sad. And, uh, and she's very guarded,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, uh, very, very different than Bonnie. Who's, you know,
0: open, uh, open yes. and petulant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes.
1: And, uh, and, uh, uh, Evelyn Mulray is defensive. Yeah. Uh, but she plays all this because in the beginning she's being very guarded and, uh,
0: yeah. And sometimes she's kind of adversarial she'll adversarial in her first sequence because with know, Jack I Nicholson. Yeah. Yes. And mm-hmm. sometimes
1: she'll like, she'll withhold information. So sometimes she won't necessarily mm-hmm. lie per se, but she won't tell the whole truth.
0: She doesn't uh, know if she can trust him. And exactly so kind of, and yeah. it's so,
1: and it's also so traumatic to her. We all know yes. the story. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but she plays all that with a lot of delicacy. Yes. And subtlety. And, I was struck watching it again for this podcast. How the most famous scene, which people sort of imitate, she's my daughter and my and my yes. sister. She actually doesn't she plays that. You watch it again, she really doesn't play it big. That no, moment
0: she's defeated. Almost. she's
1: defeated, and yes. she's she's sort of saying it with some volume, but she's that's exactly right. She's defeated and, and it comes out with a lot of agony. Yes. And uh, it's not overplayed. It's just, it's just great.
0: Because Um, it's bad that she has, when she says it out loud, it's like, yes, this actually happened to me. And like when people,
1: yes. Yeah. Oh, go on. I'm sorry.
0: Oh, no, I was just going to say you brought up her voice and in her memoir, like she loves, you know, obviously the title of the book for Looking for Gatsby. She loves Gatsby. And she said, uh, Evelyn Mulray had a voice of money or voice that sounds like money, which was taken from Gatsby. Or she had that idea when she was working on it. But in her scenes with Nicholson, I love the evolution of the relationship. Anybody who's been through trauma, I mean, I can't imagine this level of trauma, but you know, you're not sure if you can trust somebody or what you should say when. And so watching this play out as she's sort of testing the waters and in their relationship, I thought was very real. Like this time when I was watching the movie, I was paying more attention to that than ever before. Like when she decides to get close to him, how close. And yeah, at that moment, the daughter and sister, it's just, she has to admit that out loud and you can just see how it just takes so much out of her. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Also, she's, I don't think she's ever been more beautiful on screen than the scene where they're in bed together and she's sort of in profile looking at him and uh, you know, the camera Mm -hmm. just loves her.
0: (laughs) It really does. It's such a beautiful film overall. It has that sort of nostalgic uh, glowy, you know, golden light at times.
1: Yes. It's funny because it's also if it's it's Bonnie and Clyde is a 30s story and this mm-hmm. is a 30s story.
0: She's a woman of uh, the 30s. Yeah. that yeah, she, thing.
1: And uh, uh, yeah, she's really good at that kind of throwback style. Yeah. Like, you really can't imagine anyone else from the era playing it as well as she plays it.
0: And there's no artificiality either i think that's the thing yeah
1: that's the thing because it's such a stylized sort of character a sort of rich lady from the 1930s yeah with a mid-atlantic fatale, accent not, yeah. yeah exactly exactly um it's a good way to put it yeah femme fatale yeah. but not um uh she's had this trauma mm-hmm. that she's dealing with and then uh then she's trying to deal with the death of her husband and and and
0: i know really yes. trying
1: to not trying to hide
0: yeah you know all this protect her daughter sister protect yeah exactly yeah
1: um but she uh yeah she just she plays it with uh complete commitment and subtlety and power uh Mm -hmm. it's really it's really great
0: yes it really is and i know that you know, at the time there were some issues with Polanski uh, talking about in her memoir, like she felt bullied. Then later she has kind of come around on that. Like, you know, they were both very committed to their um, roles as director and actress. And it seems like this is the film she talks about the most as probably being the greatest one she was ever in. And I mean, I kind of think it is probably.
1: Yeah, 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 it's certainly way up there yeah, yeah yeah i mean she talks about an incident where they shot
0: and you know yeah. i i, yeah. I
1: just want to talk about her performances and
0: yeah not exactly
1: reputations or, or the, these
0: yeah all gossip, the gossip things but, uh, but yeah
1: there she tells a story about how he had been i guess kind of rude and condescending to her yeah. uh, throughout and just and then it, it and then one day like there was a her hair was astray in the shot and he came yeah. over and plucked a hair out of her head. This is how she tells the story.
0: That's yes, exactly. Which <laughs> as an
1: actor, that's uh <laughs> that's an ex- that's a real transgression. And you're yeah. already in a very heightened place when you're acting.
0: Especially so, that role. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: so she says she, you know, apparently uh voices were raised and yeah. And then he went on to talk about her being difficult and but I'm certainly on her side in that story.
0: <laughs> oh, of course, me too. And boy is she such a great scene partner for Jack Nicholson and their relationship it sounds like Jack was somebody who was extremely dear to her, very protective. Yeah, she's, she she writes very warmly mate. about yes. him in the yes.
1: uh in the um in the memoir. And like yeah. Warren Beatty, he, you know, he was a very yeah, he was a very essential part of that movie. Robert Town was an old friend of his. Robert Town yes. wrote it with Jack Nicholson in mind. He wrote mm-hmm. the dialogue because he heard Jack's voice when he wrote it. Yeah, um,
0: that's another situation. I mean, at this point in her career, she had done so much and been nominated for Oscars, so she was, you know, at a different level than just starting out with Bonnie and Clyde. But you are dealing with. Um, these personalities and i think i would have been intimidated i can't imagine especially knowing how close robert town and jack nicholson were and then you have john houston but she just slides right in there and she is well, perfect yeah. Yeah. but
1: actually at the time she was actually bigger than jack so he's, he's that's
0: true this, that, was this was his is sort first, of
1: his transition to like yeah man. from
0: like easy rider supporting role yeah and, this is yeah. sort
1: of him coming up um yeah and she's already been pretty established. He was not that established in '67, you know. But yeah, um, when early she, '70s. When she, yeah. yeah, when she did. Uh, yeah, I mean back when she did Bonnie and Clyde yeah. or oh yeah, whatever year that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they're they're just perfect together, and she she just gets that character.
0: She really does. Yes. Well, next up, we have the first of two films that Turner Classic Movies host Ben Mankiewicz has argued might have seemed a bit far-fetched back in the 1970s. However, the prospect of first, a secret CIA inside the CIA (laughs) in three days of The Condor, and second, the pitch-black television satire network have only gotten more prescient and scarily real in recent years. Based upon the novel Six Days of the Condor by James Grady, but obviously shortened to three, for director Sidney Pollock's film, this 1975 paranoid political thriller finds the director teaming up once again with his good friend and collaborator, actor Robert Redford. As Joe Turner, Redford plays a nerdy CIA researcher who looks for codes and secrets in books, magazines, newspapers, and manuscripts who is stunned one day when he returns from lunch for, at the clandestine office, dubbed the American Literary Historical Society and finds every single one of his coworkers dead in a horrific attack in the heart of New York City in broad daylight, fighting to stay alive not be the fall guy and figure out who he can trust he abducts a beautiful photographer played by Faye Dunaway in order to have a car an apartment to use to get off the street but because this is Dunaway and Redford in the 1970s and it's a movie they soon become involved it's a tricky role because she's operating on a number of different emotions at once I've always liked the movie a lot though and the performance and was glad you chose it so what's your take on this one
1: well, first of all, I think this movie is is kind of like a a grittier gender swap North by Northwest.
0: Oh, that's uh, a good take. Yeah. Where you have
1: <laughs> you know and in, in North by Northwest you have a woman uh deep state operative. <laughs> yes.
0: That's who, true. And, and a man saying, yes. who
1: is who is uh, inadvertently drawn into this and then he ends up becoming an amateur spy. And in yeah. this you have a uh Dear Robert Redford as a uh as a researcher for the CIA who, who, and then she is a, an innocent who ends up becoming uh brought into this and then ends up becoming an amateur spy herself. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was a fun one to choose because I don't know what adjective to use here, but the character is a little more, and I don't mean this in a negative way. The character is sort of a little more ordinary. She's She
0: is, she's more everyday, yeah.
1: She's more everyday, she's not yeah. as heightened a, a character. She's no. She's a sophisticated person, she's a photographer. She Somebody has a nice af- yeah. She has a Yes, she has a nice apartment in Manhattan that has copper pots and by the way she has yellow toilet paper, very elegant. Yes. When you see her in the bathroom at once. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't pay that she's got, close attention, yeah, but she's, I like she's that.
1: A classy, she's a classy yeah. lady, but she's not like Evelyn Mulray, where she's this sort of patrician. Uh, yeah. Um,
0: mm-hmm. The red member, nail polish. Member and of the stuff. upper yeah. class.
1: Yeah. And she, even her voice, like she, at one point she says, I told you. She goes yeah. like, I told you something, not I told you. I told you. Yeah. She she speaks in a more colloquial manner.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's more contemporary.
1: Yeah, and yeah, in, in a way, she's she's like she, the character is kind of a straight, you know, a straight man she's a straight lady, yeah. um, in the sense of just not as extreme. Whereas yes. he's in a he's in an extreme situation, and her life is not particularly extreme. And then, but uh, with funny
0: lines like I remember, yeah, yeah, there's a
1: yeah. ryness, there's a ryness, and frankly, yes. I find a lot of them will be really funny.
0: It is even Roger like even the pointed whole, that out. Yeah, he's like. Faye Dunaway has about three or four lines that bring the house down, and he said the number of times he's <laughs> seen it. And It's so true. This is the one I probably watched the most, weirdly enough. I don't know why. I mean, I love the other films, but I think they're so, uh, like draining. And three days, oh, long. yeah, That's totally. Just a fun movie. I mean, I it's mean, so yeah, it ridiculous. starts with like a whole. Yeah.
1: A whole office full of people being slaughtered, but yeah,
0: it's, yeah, basically, that it basically besides... is kind of
1: like North by Northwest. It's not yes. really about the CIA or yeah. the deep state. It has that quality because that's the era. It's very mm-hmm. funny that this is like he made this like I think the year before all the presidents' man.
0: I was going to ask, which you is that, about I know actual that's your stuff film, right? I thought <laughs> that
1: is that is like yes. my favorite movie. Yes. But it's so the funny thing is I've never actually seen this movie before. Oh, I've never seen Three Days of the Condor. That's yeah, that's so funny. There Were a, you know, she's made a lot of movies, I haven't seen them yeah, all.
0: Yeah, I know. So, I was I watching some,
1: I was watching some other Faye Dunaways when I was making the list,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, to, th- to think because there were a few that I knew I wanted, and then yeah. I watched this, but I sort of liked how sort of different this character is from other characters. That yes. she's, uh, uh, yeah, like we said, she's a little more ordinary and uh, a little less yeah. sort of
0: the first 70s character that we've had so far, for sure. Yeah. And um, one of the funniest things I saw in an interview with uh, Ben Mankiewicz, she was, I think she talks about it in greater detail in her memoir, was she was finding it hard. She said of all the people, she was a little bit starstruck. She admitted that when she met yes. Robert Redford, because it is Robert Redford. And uh, she said she was having a hard time showing fear to Redford. As yeah. This it's, would she be, talks about
1: that very humorously in the memoir. Yes,
0: like raping Redford or ravaging Redford, like it would make her crack up or giggle. And so in order to <laughs> get the actual fear yeah. she needed, Sidney Pollack had to act out his role, like off camera for her. Like, you know, when when she was supposed to be traumatized or scared, it was Sidney Pollock off camera generating that response. not Redford and, his little pea yeah. coat with his eyeglasses. She's like, I wasn't buying the fear. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. She she found it very difficult to yes. act terrified by Robert Redford. Um That's
0: true. <laughs> <laughs> he's not someone uh, you expect to play like a, a very scary guy. No.
1: And then once she she uh she ends, I mean, for those who haven't seen the movie, she's she's an innocent who walks into a store mm-hmm. when he uh there's been a double cross uh yes. by this. I just keep calling it the deep state because I like calling it that. Uh, and he's he realizes he may be in danger mm-hmm. and he has to hide out somewhere. And he ends up basically kidnapping, abducting this innocent woman. On
0: a, and, uh, a ski trip. Um, yeah, on a way to his her ski lover? trip. Yeah.
1: He he puts her into her car at gunpoint and it's like, drive me to where you live. And then uh yeah. he basically ties her up. Like yeah. and and but his ultimately he 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 he. He's just trying to save his life, yeah. but just uses this person. And then in the movie tradition, uh, they, they fall up. in
0: love. But And then yeah. she
1: ends up becoming an amateur spy, much like uh, uh, Cary Grant does in North by Northwest. Um,
0: the scene I love so much is when she's helping him as kind of his girl Friday and yeah. uh, she has to go to the restaurant to talk to uh, this guy who's their The target. great Cliff Robertson, and, yes. Yeah, yeah, Cliff Robertson, thank you. I was blanking on it. Yeah, And she like picks up his sandwich delicately and puts it in a napkin and like, I'll take yeah. this with us. And she yeah. puts it in her purse and it's just hilarious. Yes. Yeah,
1: she goes to talk to him ostensibly yeah. about something else. And then she's like, there's a man outside <laughs> with a gun pointed at you. And and she plays it all very kind of quietly, but with yeah. a sort of, with a kind of sly humor. And you can tell it that is. the character is sort of enjoying this strange oh, chapter in yes. her life. And yeah. the thing I find very funny is, is that character's growth through the movie where it's all registered and she shows it all in a very sort of small way. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't a line from the movie, but the character basically goes like, well, I guess I'm doing this now. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and it's a series of her just sort of, well, Go okay, now I'm going to Tell this guy he has a gun pointed. This is where my life yeah. is leading me because of this man who's entered my life. And, and, you know, it, it, it I portrays was her. I'm
0: going to help kidnap. Yes. They, they establish,
1: it. you know, with typical movie economy that she appears, even though she has a partner who's off screen, who we never see, yeah. she appears to be a lonely person. We understand mm-hmm. she's sensitive because she takes these sort of moody photographs and yeah. he admires the photographs and they bond and then, that's how we quickly learn. Oh, they're both sort of lonely people. They do yeah. belong together, but in a kind of, but and then it ends sort of ambiguously where mm-hmm. we don't know if they're going to end up being together. They may have just gone through this. And we also don't know if he's actually gotten the upper hand on the bad guys. Uh, it has yeah. a nice, it has a nice seventies ambiguity at the end of it.
0: Yeah. Which Pollock loves because even if you sort of bookend this with, um, you know, some of his later films, uh, he Just he loves that kind of thing at the end, like even his Grisham movie has a little bit of ambiguity. Uh, the firm and he loves playing with that <laughs> right. so much, yes.
1: Though it's clear at the end of Tootsie that Hof Destin Hoffman and Jessica Lang are going to be a couple, yeah.
0: They are, <laughs> but yeah, but I
1: kind of love this one because of the smallness of her performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the character, uh, that character doesn't go for the big gesture or the raised voice, no. Uh, it's all sort of small incremental uh um shifts yes. that she goes through. Mm-hmm. But uh, but she's uh and that again, as end. I'm yeah, as I'm saying, is very unique, it's very different than the other characters we've it been is. discussing. Evelyn Mulray um has a lot more inner rage and and yeah. agony that you can sort of see. This woman has a sadness, but she, it's just she's she has a different energy, mm-hmm. uh, and again, yeah. For all the sort of gunplay and murder, it's it's a much lighter movie. <laughs>
0: it is. It is.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think this would be a really fun, like Saturday night at the movies kind of film for sure. Yeah.
1: But well, yeah, and and frankly, it's not as deep a role.
0: No, uh, no, because of the yeah, nature of the movie for a smaller amount of time. Yeah, and, just the the yeah.
1: character is not is really not as interesting as Evelyn Mulray no. or any of these other characters. it's just not as interesting a character, but she, and she quite wisely doesn't overplay it for drama. She, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lesser actor might um, uh, try to, try to heighten the, the yeah. heighten things uh, mm-hmm. and, and sort of indicate the, uh, the, the drama. She, she, the, she, yes yeah, she, she, she kind of underplays the whole thing. Yeah. And, in and in a kind of in an interesting way, that's just because the character is because that suits the character.
0: It and does. so she, she
1: doesn't try to
0: She's an observer. do an Oscar
1: worthy performance. I, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's just in terms of like, she doesn't try to find the big note in Mm-mm. this because it's it, because it would clutter things up and it wouldn't, and it, it is a distract. sort of fantastical story. So she, yeah. she basically keeps it very real and yeah. really seems like a sort of contemporary 70s, 30 something woman in New York City.
0: Yeah. And, she's and that's different. <laughs> she is. She is. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Like, uh, so,
0: it, yeah. And she's an observer as a photographer. She, you know, uses her camera and she's on the other lens trying to figure out what's yeah. going on. And that's basically what she's doing here. Like, wait, this is happening. You could almost see her sort of backing away from what's going on. I mean, even before we we get the guy posing as the mailman and there's that, you know, yeah. fight in the, which is kind of hilarious. Again, you know, you're, you have a fight with the mailman or the fake mailman, but um, she's just really good in it because she is sort of all of us. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. And she and she doesn't have to. Uh, yeah. She doesn't have she doesn't push the histrionics. No at all and that's mm-hmm. what makes it very effective actually and again it. that's that's it's a different character and it's funny because it's like it's frankly i think it's kind of a silly movie
0: <laughs> oh it is yeah like don't think about it too hard because of but it she no she yeah. gives
1: that character and the situation credit she gives it credit and she yes. takes it seriously uh without yeah. imposing a kind of heightened theatricality over it so, again, it's, it's like so she nails it. yeah, she totally nails what should be happening. And you can tell that the director also it's there's a kind of 70s naturalism going on in the way the director is telling this story. It's very different than the sort of sheen of North by Northwest, which I do think is an apt comparison. Uh,
0: that's a really good comparison. Because it's. Yeah, yeah. She's sort of helping to balance the scales because it could be too ridiculous. It could be swinging and she, for paranoia. And again, or, this is or, a case where. Yeah
1: she understands she and the director are are on the same page about style. Yep. And they understand the style and she's serving the director's vision and she's got a strong director who's, you know, those
0: actors and and again, a
1: very hands-on leading man who I'm sure had a lot to say about what was done. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I I found it very, (laughs) I found it very enjoyable and kind of refreshing to watch. Also just to sort of watch her, not have to go through the agony of Eve- Evelyn yes. Mallory or, you know. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> kind of a little, I, it's, in a way, it's sort of a little vacation for her, this movie.
0: It is. And it's good because <laughs> one of the films that she regrets not making, actually, and I would have loved to have seen her in it because I like it, even though some people don't, is Family Plot, the Alfred Hitchcock. she was. I've never to seen Family it. Plot. Oh, it's actually really fun. And she was offered it and turned it down because there was some stuff going on in her personal life and so she just but it's the one that she sort of regrets like I turned down the opportunity to work with Hitchcock and yeah so this is kind of I'm glad you brought up North by Northwest because this is sort of her Hitchcock movie essentially
1: yeah yeah yeah. very much yeah (laughs)
0: that's that's so good yeah (laughs) so she got to make one kind of
1: yeah yeah it's a it's a yeah
0: Yeah. Well, when Faye Dunaway looks back on the film that garnered her an Academy Award as Best Actress in the form of 1976's Network, the word she uses repeatedly to describe everything about it is fast. From the incredibly rich, loaded, and shocking dialogue penned by the great Patty Chayefsky for this pitch black television satire that she said she needed to memorize and then deliver so quickly that it hit like a bullet, to filmmaker Sidney Lumet, who she said was so fast in his mind and movements and ability to handle everything at once that it was like he was directing the movie on roller skates. Plus, the speed at work in every facet of the movie still makes it feel as frantic and pulse-pounding to this day. Playing a chief of programming named Diana, in honor of the star of the Chayefsky Pen Hospital actor, uh, Diana Rigg, Faye Dunaway is an unapologetic workaholic, part representative of the young boomer generation and her desire not to be nostalgic about the dinosaurs of yesterday, and also caught in the crossfire, the sexual revolution and her relationships and attitudes, as we see play out in her affair with William Holden's president of the news division, everything in the movie comes to a head. When Peter Finch's recently fired veteran anchor, Howard Beale, gets mad as hell and has a breakdown on the air. Divided in their approach and how they hope to wield Beale exploitatively as a weapon to appeal to audiences and get good ratings, this sardonic film foreshadowed the cable news era and continues to be incredibly timely. So there's a lot here. Where would you like to begin with this one?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I love this movie so much. Uh, I may visit this more than I visit Chinatown. I'll, Chinatown is more emotionally an ordeal. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. I, first of all, this is a comedy. This is a black comedy. Oh
0: my gosh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and it's funny. Cause yeah, you mentioned she, she talks about in the memoir, how quickly Lamette worked. I, yes. This is brilliantly directed by the way. West oh West my West gosh. But yep. there actually is a kind of, there's almost a His Girl Friday quality to the mm-hmm. dialogue. Uh, oh Yeah. There's reams of dialogue and it's, and she in particular speaks it really fast. So fast. um, Mm -hmm. And almost a Howard Hawksian fashion when you think about it. Uh, And she, again, she just gets the style and she has a director who is loving what she's doing. And they are on the same page again. And she's really funny in this. And
0: she is like, (laughs) my gosh, like. (laughs) <laughs> I, the love scene, I guess, kept cracking up William Holden, who at first didn't know if he wanted to do it. The love and then scene's he brilliant. couldn't even get through it uh, because it's just it's hilarious. Yeah.
1: For those who may not have seen it recently or maybe a few who haven't seen it. There's a there's a whole there's a sequence where she and William Holden basically go on a date. They have dinner. They take a they take a romantic walk. Then they go back to uh, yes. a, a cottage and have sex. Uh, and her conversation in each scene thing. is about ratings and television and yes. work. And so, she, but her tone suits whatever the moment is. So over yep. dinner, she's sort of talking in the way one might in dinner conversation. Yeah. She sounds romantic and happy about yes. <laughs> about work stuff Good when ratings. they're walking on yeah. the, when they're walking in the moonlight. And then she's speaking the way one talks More during sex, yeah. uh, <laughs> but still on the same topic. And so it's, yes. it's, it's very heightened. It's very satirical. It's not it's realistic hilarious. at all. Oh and my it's God. hilarious. Yeah. So that's part of the thing that's, I love about, I love everything about this character. Oh yeah. I know it. It's I
0: unapologetic. Think, it's actually a good unapologetic. stone for uh mommy dearest a little bit in that sense. Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, she is. Um, this character is the opposite of Evelyn Mulray. Yeah. This character is completely honest. <laughs> and unguarded so blunt. and yes. direct mm-hmm. this character never lies never tells a lie no. in the movie it's she's a-, a monster this character is a monster oh My gosh. Uh, yes. but she's completely honest in every scene
0: <laughs> it reminds me of that line in uh jerry Maguire about brutal truth and he's like yeah. you added the brutal part like you know truth is one thing this woman is brutal truth for sure
1: yes um they're uh and her physicality is so great in this she this character basically sort of wields her femininity like yeah, like a samurai sword mm-hmm. uh in the very beginning, she has a sort of brisk feminine walk,
0: yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's soft, almost like it's like really... her hands
1: are bent at the wrist, yes, and yes. she she has her like her her hair is long, she has like these these very feminine blouses, and the character the really King kind Rogers, of, yeah, yeah, the character really sort of wields her femininity as. Mm -hmm. She knows that's part of her toolkit, but there's something, because it is a comedy, there's just a slight... comedic way that she indicates this with just yes. sort of her, her brisk walk and her brisk gestures. I love the way she sort of braces herself against desks when she's talking to people.
0: Yeah, she sort of poses very <laughs> yeah. provocatively. Yeah, exactly. Like she's going to be photographed like she is back in the 30s in an evening gown. And yes, which was yeah. actually her note. Um, now, Lumet had warned her anytime she was going to add in any softness or anything, it would be on the cutting room floor because they didn't want that at all. But that was one of her things is she thought this woman would use uh, her sexuality and her femininity. And yes. so uh, she said, you know, she worked with a costumer on that whole aspect and, so yeah, the physicality of her posing on those desks or when she's sort of making these presentations among the older men, like she knows exactly what she's doing. Yeah, yeah. Yes.
1: She'll kind of, you know, she'll take her hand and move her hair back. Yeah, and all yeah. All these little, like very feminine. But the thing is, that, and this is not a criticism, this is just a fact, the character is not a real person. The character is a no. satirical construct.
0: That's yeah, what the character
1: absolutely. is. Absolutely. But she, she, she gives it dimension. And then there is one extraordinary moment near the end of the movie where she's, she, she's had an affair with Holden. They broke up, they get back together again. And he finally, he's like, look, I, I can't take this anymore. Mm -hmm. He's like, I just need you to love me. You know, I just need you to love me. I forget the exact line, but he's like, you know, false and all or whatever. And there's a moment where she looks at him and you see you've never seen this before you see a flicker of panic in her eyes for a second. Yeah. And then she says, I don't know how to do that. And it's, it's yeah. very moving because what you see in that instant is she's like a replicant who suddenly, yeah. who suddenly had a glimpse of, oh, shit. Uh, yeah. of, of human emotion. <laughs>
0: yeah, And you can
1: also tell that at that moment, she realizes that something's bro- broken inside her and yeah. it's,
0: yes. it's It's beyond those jokes she's been making about, like, I have daddy issues. Or she's been kind of aware. Like, she does speak, like, maybe... She might've possibly seen a shrink at one point. We don't know, but obviously it didn't take, she probably talked about ratings the whole time, but in that moment, yeah, it's like, she is somebody from outer space. And I heard that uh, Lumet had yelled cut and she said, but I have another line there. And she, he said, no, but the way you looked at him, like he just said something, you know, in a different language or was perfect. And I thought, yeah, it's a really good note. Also, because you do see that panic. That's a really good observation. And uh, she, he, you know, this woman is never going to be able to have a very exactly. successful emotional relationship. And probably at that point realizes that.
1: And it's and that, it's classic down classic way because you see it in the eyes, you see it in the face. Uh, you see it like in her facial muscles. There's yeah. just a very quick... It's almost a parallel to the moment where uh, Bonnie Parker realizes she can never be near her mother for the rest oh, of her life.
0: That's, yes, it's
1: different, but it's mm-hmm. parallel to that because it's it's only a couple Emotional. seconds, mm-hmm. but you see her registering something, and whatever uh, Diane Christensen, her the name of her character in Network, is registering there, it's like, oh shit, I like it's the closest we ever get to seeing what might be regret in her face, yeah. and a kind of and a kind of panic at who she is. And then, and then she locks the door on that emotion. And then of course, and then the, then the perfect way for the character to then resolve that moment is to see through her corporate, see, fulfill her corporate destiny and, and, And decide to assassinate Howard Beale.
0: (laughs) Yep, barrel right down the road. Like finally, finally,
1: actually, be complicit in murder and be the (laughs) ultimate emotionless robot. Exactly. Yeah. But it's perfect, and it's it's such a wonderful moment um, that in the script, he's like, "I need you to love you," and she says, "I don't know how to do that." But what Faye Dunaway brings to the table is showing that one that little glimmer of panic before she says that, Mm -hmm. which gives the characters which gives this satirical construct of a character uh, a moment of humanity. And it's not too much. It's just right. And again, she's just, she's very masterful at these little small moments, small details.
0: Um, Yeah. Especially because this is such a dialogue driven film and, you know, so much of the performance is, is nailing those lines and firing them out fast. That you know these little human things that that happen to sneak in. When I was reading about uh, Dunaway and these movies, the Writers Guild of America at the beginning of uh, the new century did a list of like the hundred and one greatest screenplays ever written previously, and two of the ones in the top ten were Network. In Chinatown. And so she was somebody who was able to bring these to life. But yeah, she, you know, the words on the page are important. She said this is probably screenplay wise, you know, the one that stands uh, the tallest. But it's because of those little human things or these choices that she's making that makes her so real in a role that nobody that was close to her wanted her to play. Her husband at the time, uh, her manager, people that she trusted, they all said, you know, this woman is just horrible. You yeah. should not play her, but she, she just knew. That this and this woman. is the one
1: she wins the Oscar for. Yes,
0: absolutely. And
1: uh, wins the, uh, uh, yeah, I love this performance. I, I think Jane Fonda was considered at one point and she was, yeah. I, think, uh, I like Jane Fonda, but I think Jane Fonda might've smoothed over some of the uh
0: she would have softened edges of the character dark, i think it
1: might have been a little softened
0: yeah I don't yeah know.
1: but the thing is then done away sort of default qualities that intensity and uh electricity that i was talking about really served this character uh there's something feral about this character uh there's something animal like yeah there's something animal like about her, her
0: eyes are more open totally all of them. Her,
1: Yes, when you and every great director knows to get close ups of her eyes or, or of her face and yeah. there are moments in this where her the energy in her eyes is different than her eyes in any other movie. And there's 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 a kind of feral uh quality. And there's also a great sort of visual joke where at one point she's watching Howard Beale on TV and she's eating like a really big sandwich and she takes an enormous bite. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that was actually another thing that she said was one of her tools is this is a woman who's just, you know, carnivorous and she would just be eating. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And it's great. But she also like she totally gets the comedy and none of the other movies we're talking about are comedies. One is considered an inadvertent comedy, Mommy Mm -hmm. Dearest, but but she totally plays the comedies with her typical subtlety. And one of my a moment that always makes me laugh out loud is when she first gets the idea, but Howard Beale has had like two breakdowns on TV. And then she mm-hmm. decides we're going to actually make this permanent. We'll, we'll put this madman on TV. And she yes. talks to Duvall. Who's the head of the, who's, who works for the corporation who own the network uh, to pitch this. And he says, we're talking about putting a manifestly of whatever he says, yeah, you know, uh, uh,
0: uh, unwell, mentally yeah. unwell
1: man on television mm-hmm. and then there's a shot of dunaway just looking at him with those feral eyes and she does like <laughs> like a six-point nod she's like yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah 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 like with her head let's
0: do it yeah he does this
1: hilarious sort of duh nod and yeah. uh and it's really funny and then Duval actually waits to say his next line because you can tell that like Lumet is holding for the laugh.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or maybe we had to slide it in more in the editing room. Like but it's said. it's, oh my it's God. like,
1: but it, it's a very comedic, heightened response. And she just she she really gets style. She gets style. Mm-hmm. And
0: it would have been and, cool to see her in a screwball, kind of a what's up doc uh, from the air. Totally. Era. And this is
1: sort of the closest. This is kind of like yeah. This does have that quality. Mm-hmm. Again, this is like in the sense that um Three Days of the Condor is sort of, a, is sort of a a gritty 70s version of North by Northwest. This is a sort of naturalistic 70s version of a 1930s screwball comedy in a way. It's
0: Girl Friday, as you mentioned. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh yeah. But yes. And then this leads us to the very controversial.
0: <laughs> yeah, our final film. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's performance. And the final film is one that is notoriously divisive 1981's Mommy Dearest, directed by the swimmer and diary of a mad housewife filmmaker, Frank Perry. Dearest yes. is described as a biographical psychological drama about actress Joan Crawford and her relationship with her adoptive daughter, Christina, who's Eponymous memoir became the basis for the film, giving a searing, committed, vanity-free performance, which has been likened to everything from camp to killing her career. Faye Dunaway completely goes for it as Joan. But this was overall not a film I liked very much, despite her tenacious, fearless turn. But I'm really looking forward to your thoughts, James. So I'm going to let you go for it. Okay.
1: well, here's what I think. All right. I think it's a lopsided movie. Yeah. I think it's not a good movie.
0: Mm-mm.
1: I think she's excellent in it.
0: Yes, I agree. And I
1: think the thing that all these other movies we've discussed, and this is a theme we've talked about, where she and the director, even mm-hmm. though she had issues with Polanski, he still knows what he has.
0: Oh, yeah. And he's, he's very page. much in
1: command that the playing field is equal. You have directors in mm-hmm. these prior cases, and a, a great actress, and they're energized by each other. Yes. And and what they're doing is informed by each other. In this case, Frank Perry, who has made, who knows how to make a good movie, uh, yeah. uh, Diary of a Mad Housewife is great. Yeah. The swimmer. Uh, yep. Sadly, for whatever reason, in this case, in my take on it is, he's just photographing her giving this performance, but he is not returning the, it's not equal. Uh, mm-hmm. She's, she's, she's kind of directing her own movie and he's just sort of, he's sort of passively observing as opposed to energetically uh, responding in kind to what she's doing. Do you know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying?
0: I agree with you.
1: And, 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 uh, and so because of this, she's sort of isolated and then a light gets a sort of unfair light gets thrown on her performance because she is, she's a very intelligent actor, by the mm-hmm. way, this is, this is, she's very smart. Yeah. And, and in a way, even though she's very physical, she's kind of cerebral because she, she, all these characters are so specific. She really understands style. She knows how to adapt her physicality and her voice to whatever is mm-hmm. called for. She's yeah. playing Joan fucking Crawford. Who is not as great an actress as who is a different kind of actress? Joan Crawford. Sidebar here. Here's what I'll say about Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford is very commanding, but mm-hmm. she has no depth in mind. I
0: opinion. agree. I was never a huge, <laughs> huge fan at all. No.
1: Joan Crawford is of the and also Good
0: presence, but
1: great presence and Mildred great Pierce presence. is
0: an amazing yeah. and
1: uh, Mildred Pierce is one of my favorite movies from oh, that yeah. era. But Joan Crawford also is Joan Crawford is she's pre-method, yes. and she's she's, she's of the presentational school. Where <laughs> yeah, you very much. And where you suffer beautifully on camera, something that something that um, Faye Dunaway never does. Like we talked about this before, Faye Dunaway doesn't suffer beautifully. Faye Dunaway does whatever the character
0: would do. plays whatever mm-hmm. the
1: character's truth would be. Yeah, Faye Dunaway doesn't doesn't ham it up. And she doesn't ham it up in Mommy Dearest, but she's playing a woman who does ham it up. So this is this this is (laughs) where it's very difficult. Totally. It's very tricky. She's playing a cat, and she's also playing Joan Crawford like a Joan Crawford character. And the performance is somewhat I like that. I think the performance is is somewhat satirically skewed. Mm -hmm. She's playing because it's it's because Joan Crawford is this sort of pathological person who Joan Crawford's all Joan Crawford has is sort of behavioral armor. Yeah, <laughs> and she's and nice. the interesting is we never actually see a movie within a movie in *Mommy Dearest*. We, she's like, <laughs> "I'm going to make Mildred Pierce," and then and the next thing they're like, "Well, I made Mildred Pierce, and I won an Oscar." We never see her acting on film. They never recreate any acting moments. No, so,
0: we see her like rehearsing the script with. We her maid, see her in life, and we yeah. see her
1: being interviewed and yep. and talking to people. And she has that very presentational commanding quality that Joan Crawford has, which is always beneath a lot of plastic and presentation. And then there's a kind of very raw madness when she's super angry at her daughter. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, Frank Perry, the way that I said that um, Arthur Penn is energized by her face and her energy in the beginning of, in the opening seconds of Bonnie and Clyde and uh, the, the, the camera, uh, the energy of the camera and the energy of Faye Dunaway mm-hmm. are doing a dance together. Yeah. They're dancing together. And that's what she does with all her great directors.
0: Mm-hmm. Sydney Lumet
1: is, is staging a sort of on his those
0: Friday style yes.
1: is on his roller stage And she's doing a very brisk uh, yeah. performance and she's throwing the dialogue up like little ping pong balls. Yes. And he's, and he's there getting it. Frank Perry is just like, wow, she's really being big here. Let me photograph this. Yeah, and it's, it's, she's it's just talked
0: about that, that she and, needed a director to tell her it was. Yeah.
1: And, and therefore people accuse her of being bad, which she's not. But the performance can't live in the movie it's in. And that's the director's fault. That's it my really take on that.
0: It really is. I agree with you. I think she's maybe- making
1: a more interesting movie than the director is.
0: <laughs> yeah. And to use kind of like the whole swimmer aspect of Frank Perry, it's like they're drowning right away or he's drowning. And I guess part of it could have been the, too many cooks in the kitchen. He did a pass of the script. There were multiple passes. Um, whose story was it really? Like he went in promising her no it's going to be about the real Joan Crawford not this tell-all book which I guess was like the first of its kind for the period yeah and um, you know so I think everybody was trying to make a different movie I love what you're saying about her playing her like a Joan Crawford character because we know she is really process oriented and she has talked about the fact that she was studying a lot of Joan's films I mean she talked to people who knew Joan very well, friends and colleagues Mm -hmm. and stuff, but she was turning to the movies a lot. And I think you really see that in this and just how she was having to kind of tell herself, this is the performance and this is what I'm doing because the director didn't really know.
1: Yeah. And I would put it to you that in the same era, I think like two years later, Mm -hmm. Al Pacino is in a movie called Scarface Where Where he goes, where he plays a very flamboyant
0: (laughs) character who plays to the gallery
1: and is operatic and has a director in Brian De Palma, who is right there.
0: Yep. He loves the opera. Who
1: loves it and is right there to uh, do that dance with him and and is is awake and on his toes responding to what Pacino is doing. And no one is like, people love or hate Scarface. Most people love it. But, um,
0: they that's what she needs. She needs, what they she needs yep. a
1: Brian De Palma to be behind the camera yeah. uh, of that Joan Crawford. She needs, cause she's, she is like, she's, she's making her own movie and she needs someone who wants to make the movie that she's making. Yeah. And, but people don't say, oh, Al Pacino had killed his career. He was so over the top and no. campy.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, he is
1: over the top and campy, but it works because. He's in an environment of that De Palma movie where that performance is able to land and breathe and bounce off the walls and exist and have, it's not about being real. It's about letting something live on its own terms. Yeah, On its own terms. And that, in my opinion, that movie does that very successfully. Mommy Dearest, you have a parallel, Mm -hmm. very big performance, which is driven by the character, by an equally brilliant actor, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, all she's doing is doing what that character is and playing what the story is. But she has a director who unfortunately is not dancing with her. And so it just, so she's very exposed and it's actually, quite unfair and frankly i feel myself getting a little angry about it
0: (laughs) i I, i'm angry about it in retrospect too because when i was watching it i'm like you know she's really this was the first time i saw this movie um which oh yes yeah oh it's a lot to
1: take the first time
0: (laughs) oh my gosh i was like wait what you know i'd heard so much about it the film is as old as i am and i was like uh i love faye dunaway i wasn't sure if i wanted to go there but You know, I was very curious and I was getting mad thinking, you know, this allegedly killed her career. People were getting her confused with this part. And, you know, uh, we're not going to get into all the gossip with her, of course. But, you know, people accusing her of temperament and stuff. And they were just likening it to this performance. And that's really unfair. And it wasn't her fault at all. Yeah.
1: And again, this is the energy of that character is completely unlike
0: Yes. anything else anything there's no there's that. no
1: precedent for
0: no. the uh, the
1: sort of operatic qualities of that character mm-hmm. and every choice she's making is
0: uh yeah you can is, probably is... see those in her script the notes that like steve mcqueen saw exactly. she knew what she was doing and um no it's, it's
1: a great performance yeah. in a bad movie and yeah. it's just very unfortunate uh
0: so uneven, so lopsided. Because yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, totally. I'm sorry, I don't mean to speak so ill of Mr. Perry, but it just, I for whatever reason, it yeah. just doesn't work.
0: Not at uh, all.
1: So that to me is like a great what if, because she the movie that she's making is a very dark,
0: mm-hmm.
1: sort of satirical, but then also emotionally brutal look oh, at. Gosh. And let me compare it to something else. It just occurred to me, okay. Raging Bull is nothing less than an agonizing delivery service of of raw emotion Mm -hmm. where the character bangs his head against a prison wall repeatedly and and beats up his brother in front of his family and does all these outrageous things. And again, you have a director (laughs) and an actor who are in complete sync with these incredibly over-the-top characters. Uh, So I think what she's doing is in that tradition of... Uh, these extreme characters who do very extreme things on screen, with mm-hmm. uh,
0: yeah, but he's making it like a standard with, almost movie of the week at times. Like we yes, don't know. That's yeah. the thing. It, it actually yeah. it,
1: it, it also it looks like a TV movie.
0: It really does. And and yeah. the other
1: acting is often very two dimensional
0: mm-hmm. and it comes
1: off like a bad. There's lots of great TV movies, but it comes like a bad TV movie, and we yeah know, say that. Uh, that's part of it. And, and, uh, it just doesn't quite. Yeah. The, the other actors aren't there to give a sense of the reality of this world.
0: Yeah. She uh, doesn't have that scene. That's the thing. She she's,
1: she's creating a world and no one else is. creating a world is populating it 100%. (laughs) Yeah.
0: They're like in some other movie that we, yeah. So
1: yeah. um, It's, it's, uh, it's, it's sad. And then I, I, she says that it, it had an effect on her career, but also at the same time, she also left the country for a while. She had had a child
0: and she lived in Europe
1: for a long time. So she kind of got out of the limelight for a while as well by her own choice.
0: Yeah, um, and she did some good work after that. I know Barfly, she was very Barfly, good yeah, Barfly, yeah. Barfly uh
1: is she's excellent in Barfly, oh, yeah. and Mickey Rourke is Barfly is also, I think, a flawed movie though, because yes,
0: I agree.
1: The other characters are actually played kind of sitcom-y almost. They're played mm-hmm. very broadly, mm-hmm. but there's something great about um seeing her sort of more middle-aged than she is in these other films she's like in her into her 50s now i guess or or maybe she's around 50 in barfly i think yeah um uh and or maybe late 40s but she she has her face now betrays more age and experience and she she uses that very well and she Again, she and Mickey Rourke is really good in that, and I think they have genuine chemistry in that movie. They
0: really do, and I know they liked each other. And yeah, yeah, she speaks well of him too. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, But I think, but she still has the goods. I just, I wish that was a better movie. I agree. It's not as quite. It's not the disaster that Mommy Dearest is.
0: No, I just think
1: it could be uh, better. Yeah, yeah, like her performance lands in that, and their Mm -hmm. scenes together are excellent. Yes, but sort of when they start going to the bars and other people are a little indicating yeah. in the way that they're, those characters are drawn.
0: Yeah. Uh, they're kind of caricatures. A they're a little
1: caricature and I, I kind of just want them to be a little more naturalistic. Real. Yes. Or yeah. Or just, yeah. 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 yeah that's, that's my problem with that.
0: <laughs> I agree. No, I'm right. I've never loved it, but I, I do love her and Mickey in it. But She's sure. great.
1: Yeah, no, she's, she's, she's great. So.
0: Yeah, that's it.
1: I say Viva Faye Dunaway.
0: I know. I was uh, going to ask you if there were any <laughs> other films you'd like. You said you were watching a few. Are there any you would like to recommend people check out if they're new to Faye Dunaway who are listening? Before these, are the, you go. these
1: are the main ones. Yeah. And uh, like I like Thomas Crown Affair is fun. That's also super goofy. It's even it's it goofier than uh, doesn't make than a three lot days. Of sense. Yes. Yeah. And she she has a lot of fun in that. Like she has a playing a sort of glamorous. Yes investigator <laughs> yeah she's like an insurance investigator insurance, but she's like super glamorous
0: super insurance. hot and she has yeah. this
1: incredible entrance where she's like walking in like wonderful 60s fashion with like this I big know. hat
0: she can afford all that yes uh it's yeah. it's just it's
1: it's about two movie stars having fun
0: yes and it there's nothing the wrong really. with that. no uh,
1: but yeah i i watched i watched that one when we were making the list but yeah, it's fun, but there just it, there wasn't Not enough like
0: there, there. There wasn't yeah. enough
1: there to, to sort of for the dynamics of the list. Where when I saw three days, which is equally silly, yeah,
0: there's, there's something, something more interesting, interesting
1: that... about uh, about her underplaying in that. Uh, yeah, that that stands out. Um, so yeah, I think she's just. I think she's much more versatile than people give agree. her credit for. Yeah, uh, and um, I find her very inspiring. And, and satisfying too. and fun to watch.
0: Very uh, much. Yeah, I think she really defined this era. I would say probably like Jane Fonda and Diane Keaton are up there for the 70s. Mm-hmm. But when you think of the 70s and these performances... You know, it's very incredible. So I was really glad that you chose this, James. This was such a wonderful conversation. I yeah, want to this thank was, you.
1: This was really fun. I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Uh, You'll
0: have to think of another person for next time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll try.
1: <laughs> thank you for having me again. Thank
0: you. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research, equipment, film rentals. filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link the show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by jason shaw and is available in the free music archive you can also reach me or interact with watch with jen anytime on twitter either at film intuition or our watch with jen account as well well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and Film Intuition on social media and Letterboxed, And this is Watch with Jen.